The UDR cast is not affiliated and does not represent any 12-step fellowship. I, Bill Ward, the host of the UDR cast, will be sharing my experience and my journey of recovery. That does include, but is not limited to, the literature contained in the Big Book of Alcoholics Anonymous and the 12 Steps. Our guests will be sharing their own path to recovery and what has worked for them. The UDR cast encourages and supports all paths to recovery. Welcome everybody to the UDR cast. UDR stands for Uncover, Discover and Recover. My name is Bill Ward and I'm coming to you from the recovery capital of Canada, Calgary, Alberta. Here we are going to discuss everything recovery, different perspectives, different experiences, both with the people I know and with others from around the world. If you resonate with anything you've heard on this episode today, we ask that you share it with anyone who you think may benefit from it. If you have any questions or comments, please find us at billward.life and send us a message in the info section. We'll get back to you as soon as we can. If you are interested in more recovery content, you can find the buttons for the YouTube channel and other social media outlets on the homepage, and you will be redirected to those platforms. We can recover. One person, one family, one community at a time. Well, hello again. It's uh, Bill with the UDR podcast. Just another Uncover, Discover, and Recover day, as they all are, coming to you from the recovery capital of Canada. Today, I have a really good, awesome guy in the house today. His name is Bryce. He's a friend of mine that I met uh, probably a couple years ago now. I first ran into him. Um, You know, in the last year or so, you know, we've run into each other a lot more. We've exchanged numbers and we've, ha- we've had some pretty awesome conversations. So Bryce is here to share his experience, his strength and his hope with you people out there. And hopefully you can grab something from his story. Um, what I know about Bryce is, uh, you know, he's 41. He's rocking 41 years old. He's rocking two years sobriety and he's digging in and he's trying to level his ass up. Um, he's doing all the things that is needed to be done. So Bryce, I'm really, really honored to have you here and to share your story here for the people so that they might be able to get something. Welcome, buddy. Thanks, Bill. It's great to be here. Finally be on the other end of the uh, of the wavelengths, I guess you would say. So yeah, Bryce, uh, why don't we walk back through your life? Um, you know, let's let's kind of let's look at your past life and see what it was like. I know that your life has changed a lot right? Can you maybe just, before we get going, can you tell us like maybe in a nutshell how your life has changed? And we'll really amplify that as we get later in your story. But how has your life changed? To put a description to that is rather hard. I always try to explain people the, uh, you'll hear it referenced to as the God dope in my life today is, uh, it's hard to explain. It's hard to touch on. It's hard to put a feeling to it. But what it is for me today is the absence of fear, of self-pity, self-seeking. And the absence of that truly is starting to feel more and more like freedom for me. Um, I don't know. The time that it happened, I can, I can remember the day and the moment it happened when I actually started uh, digging in and doing this. And 
yeah it's a uh, it is a very freeing freeing moment okay buddy let's go back to the start so tell us how you grew up man you know tell us about your family tell us about your experiences in your early life and and i know we don't really have like the awareness when we're growing up of like you know anxiety and and these kind of things typically it's just life right so tell us what just life was like as you were growing up with you know your peers and your school and your family thanks bill uh yeah going back blue collar family well more white collar my dad was a salesman my dad graduated high school 97 percent average wanted to go go to royal roads unfortunately he was a thalidomide baby so he was born with his feet on backwards and upside down he was born club-footed so my dad always, he fought his whole life in an uphill battle, and he's still, he's still conquering life in that uphill battle against the odds. So I, I come from a person that is a very high achiever. My mom, you know, she was a dancer. She's kind of more of a free spirit. And going into childhood, you know, I always, it was weird. It was always, I, I just, I was different. Something, something about me was just different. I was the biggest kid in my class. I'll never forget grade three, biggest kid in my class. And I'll never forget getting chased home by the smallest kid in the class. You know, I just, I was just different. You know, so I grew up that way, played, you know, played sports, you know, heavily engaged in hockey and everything else. And, you know, at age, I think it was age 13, we moved from the city. We moved from Marlboro Park out to High River. So we, you know, we had horses, we had the acreage, started getting some country life going on and, spending more time in solidarity, you know, by myself. And, uh, yeah, I was kind of, it was there I realized that there was actually, believe it or not, something, something really different with me. I'd, uh, luckily, not luckily, I'd, I'd found, uh, that if I inhaled gas out of a jerry can, that I would get these, uh, that I would hallucinate. And I'd always, uh, a couple times it gave me this vision of being, like four or five and playing in the sandbox. And my dad was, he built a really cool sandbox at our house in Marlboro Park where the sandbox was in between the houses, but it looked through the window in the basement at the TV. And I could sit there and I could play that sandbox. And I played in that sandbox for hours as a kid. And I'll never forget when I was sniffing gas that it kind of, it you know, it brought me back to that moment. For some reason, that moment brought peace in my life. And, uh, what took you to the place where you even wanted to sniff the gas like how did that even happen well at that time it was you know looking at it you know the pressure of playing sports the pressure of school the pressure of you know the, it, I, I could try to con myself and believe that that pressure was was the cause but it was just it was strange. I mean, at that time, you know, kids in school are starting to drink. They're starting to smoke dope. They're starting to do the, all these things. And I'm just looking at that like, that's all I want to do. That's that's just all I really, you know, I looked at. You know, so if I did drink, it was like, well, let's just drink until we're completely drunk, like blackout. You know, it was just, it was just a weird, kind of a weird thing. So I kind of, I seen, I seen some of my peers kind of going down that route. I, I couldn't drink, you know, like, you know, there was no booze really to be drank. And if I did, they'd find out. So. I sniffed gas and it seemed to work. So you intentionally sniffed gas because you thought that it might give you an alteration of your perception or? That is exactly it, Bill. Yeah, it was, uh, yeah, it wasn't until, until I came into the program and started doing the steps. It was early on in the program that it was revealed to me 
you know, that 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 is actually what was happening. And it was, it was a release, you bet. That is so interesting, bro. You know, you're you're a young teenager and you're seeing other people starting to party and, and get into the, the things that we get into as young people. And then you have a brainwave to, you know, sniff gas. And with the intention, as you look back, of course, not in that moment, you didn't realize it, but looking back, it was like, yeah, I did it because I wanted to see what was going to happen and how I would feel different, right? And, you know, I think that's an early sign of kind of what we're dealing with here, right? So that's that's really interesting, bro. Um, you know, I, I never did sniff gas. I've, I've known a few people that have, and it really destroys your mind. So thank God you didn't stay on that track, but... Um, keep us going. Where where are you going from here? From there, it was uh, I was starting to get into the parties a little bit. Never forget, I was I think I was fourteen, still fourteen or fifteen, a family wedding, open bar, and they just had glasses full of hard alcohol on the you know on the table, and I'm sitting there and I'm walking past the table grabbing glasses and just down in it. I turned out to be that goon like everybody kind of laughed at it at the time but there I was you know they're taking the garter off and I'm doing like a strip tease on the dance floor and like just totally just gooned so it, you know trans transferred into that where you know and I found because I was young it seemed acceptable you know it seemed it, it was deemed appropriate you know you don't know what you're doing you, you know you haven't really you know you gotta 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 learn how to drink with the men right were you getting validation from your peers as you were kind of clowning it up? Yeah, I was actually surprised. My dad, uh, I had to get up the next day and help clean up the wedding. So, I, you know, I was taught really early. If you're going to, if you're going to play with the boys, you got to got to work with the boys the next day. And then, uh, yeah, from that, it was, dad wasn't overly impressed, but he kind of let that one go. So I kind of just had a hunch that, you know what, this works. And then, you know, my family members, yeah, everybody kind of laughed about it. You know, it was, it was kind of funny and I always been kind of like the joker. So I was like, well, that fits in good. So off it started. Then it manifested from that to different parties to anytime alcohol is being consumed. I just, I didn't have the, I was always striving towards that. I didn't understand like just to have a couple drinks that came later, you know, being able to have a couple social drinks in front of people to put on a good facade. But then of course, you know, eventually just go home and maybe there's a six pack or there, you know, I never had much booze in my house cause I drank at all, but go home and just finish whatever booze I had. So I'd put on that good face up front. And then I found too, my first career was in oil and gas and I worked out on the drilling rigs. And for me, I, I found, I put myself in an environment or I wound up in an environment that, uh, that didn't condone didn't condone that behavior you know i started off i you know i put up a good front i was i was new and lots of guys were smoking dope on shift and lots of guys were drinking after shift not drink after shift but i always left you know I, I never did anything or smoked any weed or anything on shift and I, I lasted about a year and then that changed and here i am you know higher than a kite for 12 hours of the 12 hour shift and I just found the environment that I was in was very conducive and very, like you say, it was very accepting of that kind of, uh, that kind of behavior. And so just every, just seemed normal. It was just a normal thing. So the oil patch, it kind of validated that this type of lifestyle was okay. Right. And I, I totally relate. I remember when I was young, I worked seismic. I, I worked as a jug hound. So we used to climb mountains and uh, go through, 
you know, prairies and all over Western Canada stomping geophones. And the way to actually success on these type of crews was to have a bag of weed with you all the time. And after work, it was almost, almost every night, I'm going to say at least five or six nights a week, you went out and you got wasted. And as long as you were at work the next day, all the bosses and everybody was cool with it because that was the type of atmosphere that it was. Even the bosses, you know, four or five nights out of the week were in the bar getting hammered. And as long as you showed up to work and you were able to perform your work, and even if you weren't able to perform your work, as long as you didn't affect anyone else, fucking no one really cared, right? So that oil patch lifestyle really did facilitate for me in my early drinking years a lot of really easy avenues to like do it and get validated for it and and it really probably was a big detriment to my to my disease because it was so accepted right so that's interesting because i think that is across the board with with most uh oil patch type jobs unless you're in the office suit and tie guy right so um something i wanted to touch on you had mentioned earlier in your story that your dad you know he had his his uh limitations based on his physical feet and these kind of things but he was really a go-getter and he really worked hard and so no matter what the case was he would always persevere and kind of get through anything right um did you develop that type of attitude yourself i'm sure you did right did did you develop that as well in your life there was no option bill (laughs) yes that was developed it was uh, pretty sure if my dad could rewind the tape, he'd probably find a, a better way to impress that upon you know his children. But that was that was a big thing growing up. You don't say you can't. I mean, you just do it and you figure out a way. Um, another big thing with him was you never say quit. If you wanted to really have him like completely lose it, just say quit. So you mix that in. He was in cadets and he was in a lot of military stuff. Mix that in with the military background, and it was. It was a very strong presence growing up as a child. It didn't make sense. My brother and I, early 20s, I mean, we we really condemned a lot of our teachings as children. Um, and then it, 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 it greatly converted in our 30s. And once we started getting out into our professionals' careers, like, the you know, these fundamental things that he'd, that he'd driven into us, we'd, we'd seen where they'd actually become, you know, those tough lessons and those hard things that he lost a lot of, you know, leadership capital with his children you know he took he took some shots because he knew he knew you're gonna need this later on and you got to learn it whether you like it or not Mm. so on that same topic was when you think back in your life growing up with your dad was there something was there a way to be that you could really like get in his good books so we kind of talked about well if you're not doing it like this, then there's probably going to be some some friction with your dad. Like if you're not going to persevere, if you're going to say no, if you're going to, you know, take this softer, easier way, you're probably going to have some friction. And probably that did develop some of your condemnation for some of his ideologies because it was pretty rigid and hard. So when you look back, do you see any behaviors or things that you had to do or be to like get his approval and get his love that was 
You know what I'm saying? 110%, Bill. Uh, yeah, I often knew what he wanted. I just, it was so disappointing that I couldn't give him what he wanted. It wasn't, uh, it wasn't often I could really reach the bar. Scholastically, I mean, you're sitting there looking at a guy that 97% average. And the way he kind of achieved that through his father, you know, was with a heavy hand. So he, he felt like he was, you know, verbally doing it, not so much physically doing it. And, uh, yeah, I just, I didn't reach that bar very much. You know, in hockey, it came down to, you know, one time he was really good. He was supportive, but I'll never forget one team. I always tell people this story. I, you know, I started off trying, I was like 13, 14 years old. I started off trying for junior A. Like I was a big kid growing up. I was always one of the biggest kids for my age. And so my dad always was like, oh, junior A trouts. I'm going to put you in those. So start off junior A. Then I'd go triple-A midget, double-A midget, and then double-A Bantam, and then double-A Peewee. Like, I'm like I'm playing, like, four tiers up for me. And I'll never forget my Bantam, my first year Bantam. I almost made the double-A midget team. I was, like, the, you know, the last cut. Like, you know, we, I was a good hockey player. And then, uh, you know, Dad was like, well, you're on this team. You're, you know, you're really shining. I kind of, maybe I started slacking or something. He was like, that's it. He goes, from now on, if you don't get three points a game, you're running home. And he would. He'd stop the truck. If I had a really bad game, he'd give me my hockey equipment, my hockey stick, and he'd follow me up up the hill, about I don't know, a mile and a half from the highway back to the back to the farm. He'd follow me in the truck to make sure I kept an appropriate pace, and mm-hmm. you know, just to instill that. I I didn't really like him at the time for it too terribly much, and you know, even other parents on the team would kind of joke about it. You know, after a bad game, oh, did you bring your running shoes? Like, come on, like, mm-hmm. there's got to be a different way. And the reason why I'm kind of digging into this is because, you know, as I've worked with however many people that I've worked with one-on-one, I've seen how we operate as human beings and especially as addicts and alcoholics. A lot of the behaviors and ideologies that we might even not agree with as we're growing up into them, they still manifest themselves into our lives, right? And so I'm just kind of trying to connect some dots early in the story here to see how it plays out and later in your story right and and I know how you are <laughs> at least a little bit you know and you're pretty driven you're pretty moving forward gung-ho um successful business guy today and I don't think that failure is really an option even today right of course you do it in a way different way you're not like forcing and manipulating life to deliver you everything that you feel you deserve the self-righteous attitude of us alcoholics and addicts sometimes you're doing it more in a conducive way working with your your program and your pillars and your your god and and you know it's probably a lot smoother and a lot simpler today i would imagine um so as we're kind of walking through your story let's uh let's keep on going so we get uh yeah, we get to a spot. I went to a private boarding school for grades 11 and 12. Um, that was a big thing, but it was a big disappointment for my dad. You know, again, my grades came up a little bit doing that. And, you know, I made the, like the junior C team. I did, you know, I didn't get to play AAA and I wasn't really achieving in hockey. And I just, it was tough as, you know, as a kid. And it's so good. I have a five-year-old and a three-year-old now, and it's just, you know, I, I constantly felt, my mom was always, she was happy no matter what I did. But it was my dad that kind of, I could see it in his eyes that, 
you know, he's the, he probably, I, I guarantee he's like giving me this opportunity, regular feet, all the, you know, all the little pieces I've given you, man, like my dad would have played in the NHL. Like he, he could have played O-line for the UFC Dino or for the uh, Calgary Stampeders. Like he just, so I felt like it was, I was, he was always putting that over top of me or maybe he wasn't. And that was like a self thing where I was trying to achieve that bar and I was trying to achieve that in that relationship. So at that private school, it was the same thing. And then anytime alcohol came out, it was just like, yeah, let's go. And this is, excuse me, a school that you're not allowed to drink at. And here we are drinking and yeah, blackout drunk. And then uh, graduated, yeah, graduated high school, came out and, you know, I'd been trying out for a couple of different junior teams here in, in Alberta prior to this, of you know, so dad was like, well, which camp are you going to? Like, where are you going? And I gave him the biggest middle finger I could. I had all the resentments, you know, from, from childhood and everything built up. And I gave him the biggest, biggest middle finger I could. I said, I ain't going to any of them. I'm done playing hockey. And I'll just, yeah, like I've said some mean things to my dad, but that probably is one of the, all the commitment he gave, you know, and it wasn't until, you know, late 20s, early 30s that I actually come out of that fog to look at the commitment and dedication that my father had actually put in. I playing double a hockey here in alberta i did I, I played southern you know southern alberta hockey so our our practices were in the town neck in natton next to us our, our games were in lethbridge medicine hat they were they were all over you know, and there my dad is driving around and all i can ever sit there and think about was oh great lethbridge that'll be an hour and a half astro and on the way back not man my dad's given me an hour and a half of his life to drive me there to sit there and and, and to to watch somebody, you know, his child with great feet and everything else and all the things going for him, you know, and try to, maybe he's trying to live vicariously through me. My step five and through the program, I, I definitely, on the on the front of, like with my dad, it, it, it really cleared up a lot. It cleared up a lot. And today, what I carry to some of my biggest resentment today is some of the biggest things I'm thankful for. Like you, you touched the nail right on the head. I had one of the members I was, I was helping out a little while ago and I got a couple of people I talked to and you kind of help them out with stuff. And, you know, he went to me, he's trying to cop out, you know, he's like, well, you had that upbringing, you know, you've been driven your whole life and yada, yada, yada. And, you know, like some of my worst, some of my most hurt in my childhood you know, has come out to be that thing where I'm like, you know, when you don't think you have two more steps in you, you do, you just take them. When you can't find it, it's there. You just go. You dig a little deeper, just dig until there's no more digging to be done. You just do it. You know, and that's, that wasn't in the, I fought back when the, when the member had said that, I was like, ah, you know, we all start off at spiritual zero in this program. Like we all have crushed ourselves and self has manifested itself so greatly in our lives that we come in basically at a spiritual zero. Some people even maybe in the negatives, you know, but we start off all in the same spiritual point. And the, the drive that my father had emplaced in me has nothing compared to what it is like working for a God of my understanding and for God. Like it's just, there, there's no difference. Like there is no similar, there's no similarity between the two. There's no correlation. In one, you're doing it out of fear, and the other one, you're just doing it. Like it's great. Like today in my business, and today in relationships, and and today in conversations, and like all these things I used to bristle at and used to like just get me wound right up. Today it's like there is no difference. 
I have my job to do so that I can provide food for my family. I try to clear the channel open to God and that, you know, that's what I need to do. And I, I don't do it begrudgingly. I don't, you know, I don't wave in front of the girlfriend's face who gets to stay at home with the kids. I, no, that, that's my job. That's what, that's what I feel like God's given me. It, it's, you know, as I, as I try to step 11, I try to meditate and I try to receive the messages from him. And I try to, I try to sit there in, in flux, you know, in, in the middle, just, you know, not being in self, just kind of, just kind of hanging out there. Like, is this the path I'm supposed to be on? It, it seems like it is. But, but then I mix that with, you know, the social, like the, the aspect of the program going to meetings, you know, I, I, I used to open the 5am meeting and close the 10pm meeting, you know, Wednesday, I opened Thursday, I closed the garnet block, you know, and I, I had you going like, man, like, when I'm doing that, like, some guys won't take the 10 o'clock meeting, because like, oh, sometimes it goes till 12, 1230. Yeah, so I'm doing his work. And when I'm out there doing his work, I'm not afraid about waking up tomorrow at 5, 530 to go to work. I just get up and do it. It's what I'm supposed to do. You know, self wants to always bleed back in. Self always wants to come back in and say, poor me, poor me. So the, the tangent I went off, like with that, with that member, like, yes, I was driven, but I don't think it did anything for me. I, I, I think it did. I think it pre-programmed some of the stuff and maybe it, it put some little, some little workings into my relationship with God with, you know what? I think we all have our purpose and we all have a role. And maybe my purpose and my role is to be that, that an indomitable force that can't be reckoned with. Because, mm. you know, this force today is the force of God. You know, I'm just, my, my biggest goal, like, you know, when we're praying before this thing, my biggest goal is to empty the vessel of self and fill it up with him. And let's go, let's go water some flowers. Let's go water some seeds. It's, you know, there, there's just so much opportunity and so much endless p potential out there for me to just bring God shine light and, and go forth. That's awesome, bro. That's beautiful shit. Um, going back to your comment about your step five and how you had looked at your dad in a different light and been able, you know, instead of like, Oh fuck, we're in Lethbridge now and I got to have my ass chewed out for two hours, which was actually your reality in those years right and it wasn't something to look forward to but then through this five process and you had mentioned your dad in the military and his his hard upbringing and you know his father before him with his upbringing like that's why i touched on this so early in the podcast because these things are transmitted from generation to generation and everyone is playing out how they were raised, basically, and what the ide ideologies are, what are what systems, what belief systems, what what emotions, what fears have been transmitted down the line. And your dad was just doing the best he could with what he had, right? And as you had the profound alteration in the way that you looked at that through the five, it was like, fuck, my dad, from his heart, gave me a lot. And yeah, he ingrained in me, you, to be like really motivated and there is no giving up and let's go for the goal, whatever the goal is, right? And today the goal is now those, those deficits of self and, and how they made you feel and how they like crushed your, yourself and your life in many respects. Now you can turn that and it's a great asset, right? You give that same focus that you gave to 
self and your own achievements and your own status and what people thought of you, you now have turned that and given it to what can I do for you, God? How can I pack into your stream of life? What what can I relinquish so that I can serve you, right? And and that's the beautiful thing about working the steps and following the program of recovery. And you had mentioned, yeah, you close down the meeting. Sometimes it goes till 1230 at night. You live a fucking hour and a half away from where the meeting is. And you got to get up at five in the morning. But what I found is when I am doing God's work, when I'm packing the stream of life and I'm out of self trying to help somebody else, I wake up at that five or 530 in the morning. And trust me, I don't wake up that early. But for me, it's like seven. But I'm feeling more alive than I did if I got a good a night's rest just relaxing because I needed my own time. And it, it's kind of really strange. And like it kind of brings up a line that common sense that I should just go relax because I'm tired, thus becomes uncommon sense because as I give to you, God gives me more energy. I'm not burning up that energy foolishly, trying to arrange life to suit myself. I'm just kind of going with the flow and wherever wherever creator needs me, it, that's what gives me the juice, right? Um, so we haven't talked much about your mom, but you did mention that she really just, Loved you no matter what the case was, right? So as an alcoholic slash addict, kind of growing up with, you know, a little bit of heavy pressure and coercion to do the right thing. A lot of the right thing was based on what your dad basically wanted for you. So now you have the balance of the other side of that and you got your mom. Give give our listeners a little description of, because I think she's really important for the balance in your life. Because had you just been raised that way without the other part of this, which is your mom, fuck, it might have got a lot fucking worse, bro. So I don't know your mom. You haven't mentioned much to me about her over the time we've talked. But what was she like and what did she bring for value as you were growing up with, you know, some of the rigid parenting that you were receiving? Thanks, Bill. Like they say, more will be revealed and you just revealed it to me. My mom was the creative aspect. I just had this epiphany right now, right sitting here. Uh, yeah, mom was the creative aspect. And there's been times in my life that creative aspect, that creative that creative, at, creative avenue through art, through leather work, through I used to act, I used to, you know, do all these things. That was some of my avenues that I used to just seem like things would be just, you know, it would help make things a little bit more bearable. You know, it was definitely kind of, it definitely did counter a lot of that. My mom, you know, she sewed, she, uh, she loved doing little crafts and stuff like that. She loved making Christmas presents. You know, she, she's very crafty that way. That's interesting that you bring that up. And then I finally kind of clued out because I do leather work. I do, you know, woodwork. I do like, I don't know. As a kid, it's funny as a kid, I always took everything apart. Fuck. Funniest story ever. My dad, uh, every Saturday, mom and dad used to sleep in. And I used to go to the garage and I'd take the lawnmower apart. And every every weekend I'd get a little closer to the piston. And finally one weekend I got the head off and I finally got to see the piston. And I put this thing back together and I used uh, <laughs> used regular gasket material, whatever, sealant, flammable. And I put that on there and I'll never forget the next weekend. Dad's out there mowing the lawn and I'm watching. And he's cursing and swearing and pushing this lawnmower that's on fire. And I'm like, you know, oops. It was funny. I was probably mid or late twenties. And remember that time that lawnmower started on fire, and you're like pushing it over the gravel, and you're wondering what was going on. He's like, "Yeah." I said, "I'd taken that apart and I used the wrong gas material." He's like, "Yeah." 
<laughs> yeah, you son of a gun. So I just kind of, as a kid, yeah, that, yeah, mom gave me the creative aspect for sure. But she had, we went through some rough stuff from 12. Yeah, I was, no, well, my aunt died when I was 12. It was, I think it was 10, 10 to 14. Um, my grandma passed away. My mom's mom passed away and she was like the anchor for our family. And when she passed away, kind of that whole side of the family started to disintegrate and, and fall apart. And, and then my aunt got cancer. And uh, she, uh, my parents are very giving. And they actually offered my aunt the opportunity to come live with us out on the acreage. You know what? Like, she was terminal. She was stage four. So I was like, you know what? Whatever. So you know, here I am, like 14 years old. And I watched my aunt walk in. And in the end, she had to be taken out in a stretcher. And within like a week of leaving her place, she'd, you know, she'd passed on. But I watched my mom and dad go through all that. And that was tough. And then my brother and I going through it. I mean, we're just kids just trying to just distract ourselves with whatever to, you know, to, to try to get through it. And, you know, through that, my grandfather wound up suing. Like when my grandma died, uh, my grandfather was suing my mom and my aunt at the time. And my aunt's like on her deathbed and he's still pushing this case to her. And I'm watching this and I'm watching the emotions. And my mom, she pulled hard terms. You know, her and my aunt pulled hard terms to begin with. So, you know, emotionally my mom was always, like my dad seemed to be the steadier. You could kind of rely on what was going to happen with mom. You couldn't. Mm -hmm. You know, mom, mom was loving for sure, but don't ever cross her. Like, my goodness. So... I kind of got that, and then there was, uh, yeah, through all that, like, there was some lessons learned, even before sobriety, there was some lessons learned, like, today, you know, if somebody around me passes away, it's, the gift is always, like, you know, my parents are, you know, today, I always tell them, like, the gift is you being on earth, I don't care what you leave, in fact, I'd rather you, I'd rather you have a good time in your later years, use it all up, because I've just seen, if there's anything left, you see self manifest itself in probably the the worst way. So that kind of comes from my mom's side too, is like my dad's side, like, you know, my grandfather and everything else, Captain Caprol, I used to call him big dude. He was a really big dude and smoked and he was a really rough guy too. But, you know, he had these sweet little isms to him. You know, he was a gardener. He loved bunnies. Like he had all these, you know, weird little character traits. So kind of the way the family kind of integrated together and the way people integrate together is a lot the same thing. You just, when I'm selfish and self-centered, I, I look at all their faults. And then when I'm an empty vessel looking around, trying to fill myself up with God, I look around at people and it's just, it's just amazing to see the differences and the, what free will manifests itself in different people. So it's interesting. Yeah, dude. Um, as we kind of go through, you know, those early years of our lives, I'm going to say for me, the first 35 years, you know, I didn't really have a clue of spirituality. I didn't want a clue even first 40 years. And I was just driven by my anger, by my, my quest for status and for these goals of financial income and to hit these new bars and and but when I look back at those things you know those things were great and they they gave me some good relief and they made me feel proud of myself but really I'm going to talk about like the last seven years of my life bro where I haven't had that but if I would have stayed living that life not burnt it down 
and still had all that money and kind of kept going through life that same way without a personality change, without a psychic change. You know what, bro? I really think that I would have become very cynical and angry and fucking restless, irritable discontent in my older years. And I see that in other people, right? I see that through the people that I've worked with that are older. I see that through the people that are a little younger and it's in their parents. And I see it generally in a lot in our society that people that don't have the opportunity that we have to really look at themselves and really look at like how our parents were, grew up and then get rid of these resentments and, and start looking at it in a different way. Like we're really gifted with the ability to have this program in our lives. And I'm so grateful that I don't have to live like I just said. I don't have to live cynically and angry and resentful and and hating different sects of people and different ideologies and fuck, dude. It's just this program's just changed my life in so many ways. I can just, everyone's okay to do what everyone else wants to do, man. Whatever you want to do, fuck, go ahead. Anyway, um, let's get into your story again and let's get it to where you're burning it down. You know, walk us fairly quickly into, I know that you didn't hit like the bottom that I hit. You were able to catch it. So take us from where we're at in your story and take us to where you finally found a spot where you could call ground zero and then work up from that. So take us down to ground zero and then up, up from there. Well, unfortunately, Bill, being such a high achiever, I didn't just burn it down once. I like to do it multiple times. Um, yeah, the first time, early 20s, serious relationship, working on the rigs, making lots of money, helping her get through university. That relationship completely blew up. Um, left me completely in the dumps. Drank, uh, drank my sorrows, drank myself into being evicted. Luckily had a dad there to come, you know, scoop me up. I always say scoop me up with a shovel, threw me in the back of the horse trailer and brought me out to the place in High River. And, and my parents did. They, you know, we, we worked together. We put my life back together, got my license. I'd lost my license drinking and driving at the age of 20, 22 when I rear-ended a cattle hauler at 170 kilometers an hour. And so that, that time, you know, mom and dad were there and, and, and bounced back, got the license back. Got a better job. I went from working on the drilling rig to being a like a drilling fluid, like a mud man, drilling fluid engineer. So, you know, I ranked up there, leveled up a little bit there. And same thing, you know, like not only did I, I find the substance on the way down, on the way up, I, fuck me. Pardon my language. Um, but uh, I'll never forget, you know, here I got this great opportunity, white hard hat, you know, senior position. And I'm going through the training. All the guys, I think there's probably 13 of us in this course for this for this company. Uh, the first week passes. I get like 95 on the on the exam on the first week. I get the second highest mark. And the two guys that got the highest mark were the two rig hands. And the guys that got you know that were underneath us were all the chemical engineers. So my ego's just blown right up. So I'll never forget going out downtown Calgary. And uh, started drinking at one of the bars, and it didn't end at that. Next thing I know, I'm doing crack with homeless people in my hotel room, right, till 7 o'clock in the morning when I'm supposed to get up for week two. And then I'm, you know, climbing out of, you know, sneaking out of the hotel to go get my company truck and, like, drive it home. And, like, 
I made up this big song and dance to the people. Oh yeah, I know somebody drugged my drink and you know, like somebody drugged me last night. And you know, I, I, I thought I'd gotten away with it for sure. But I know today, I know deep down that these people, they knew. Like they knew and I was just trying to hide it from them. And I, I you know, I, I scraped through. I luckily scraped through that with my, you know, the hard work kind of just helped me kind of scrape through that. And then I, I got that career going. I was going along with that company. I burnt that down to the ground because, you know, irritable, restless, and discontent. Irritable and restless on that. I found in my working career, I consistently looked around at other people and they always had to be lesser than. You know, I always had to find their flaws, point out their flaws, and then accentuate my benefits to be better you know so i'm always that asshole at work microanalyzing what everybody's doing and it didn't work out well i mean i had a great opportunity there and uh i'll never forget i did such a good job and i had such a positive effect that when they laid me off they actually got me a limo to drive me home they're like give us your keys for the truck but you know what here's your limo home but you still got to go. I couldn't be a part of the team. And it wasn't because of my effort. It wasn't because of my work ethic. It wasn't because of anything else. It's because I was that much of a deficit as a team member because of my irritable, restless, discontent, just just, just being an asshole, period. Um, even though I had, you know, I made everything work and I made it happen there. Like, you just can't be a part of the team because you, you blow up the whole team. So off I go. And then I'm picking up the pieces again. And then I get another, you know, that I'm sitting in limbo between two jobs. So I go out and work on a rig for a while. And, you know, the mud man on that rig's, you know, I'm kind of quizzing him up about his, you know, his tests and everything else and explaining stuff to him. And I have an innate ability to understand how things work really well. And, uh, you know, so I'd explain the chemistry and stuff to him. He's like, how the hell do you know all that? After about two months of me busting his ass, he's like, how the hell do you know all this? I'm like, well, I've been trained. I know. So then next thing you know, I'm, there I am going from a drilling rig to another mud company, you know, and then the oil field game, it's a wild game, you know, you get promised the moon. So then another company came in, I was making like $58,000 a year before I put my coveralls on, then work bonuses on top. And then another company went in and like, next thing you know, I'm in a bidding war between two companies and, you know, it got up to like $98,000 salary, work bonuses, brand new F-350, shiny, like brand new diesel, only have to have it for two years there's like a fifteen thousand dollar buyout there like at the buyout you can buy it out and you got yourself you know you can keep the truck and like offered the moon and then uh of course the drinking comes back in um i don't have a set schedule when i'm when i'm doing that job so of course you know i was working up in dawson creek i was working like seven eight week hitches i was working a long time and finally i'm like you know what i'm just gonna move up here so i moved up there moved away from the family picked up bought a house bought my first house and moved up there and while i'm you know getting you can't call it settled in but once i moved up there i had nothing to do so what did i do drank you know and i'm just the type of drinker i don't know why but i'm just the type of drinker that if it's not a couple casual drinks and back then i could I could go out and I could have a couple drinks and, you know, I could keep things professional at work and everything else. But at the end of the day, when I went home, whatever booze was in the house was getting drank or I passed out. It's the only way there is leftover booze. So then that cycle started. So then somehow in that cycle, I wound up meeting a woman. And, uh, you know, and the next thing you know, we're married. We're trying to have kids and building a life together. Still on the work side, I'm still building it up, burning it down, building it up, burning it down. I had met her when I was a mud man for the company that was paying me so much. 
we weren't living together at the time, but uh, it was Christmas, and I went out to a rig to spend Christmas with a couple guys. Got just wasted. Next thing you know, I, I wrapped the truck around a telephone post, like wrecked the fender in the door. Not, I could still drive it, but I didn't have the courage to tell the company I was working for. I was trying to hide it because, of course, I was wasted when I did it. And, uh, yeah, so the next the spring meetings, you know, where all the truck inspections was popped in us, and they look at my truck, and I'm like, oh. So I had to pay to get the truck fixed and then, yeah, the next round of layoffs and there I was, I was out of my ass again, do all doing it all over again, except the, the limbo in between that and my next job was probably about probably six to eight months. All my bills got behind, you know, my mom was co co-signer on my house. My mom's, you know, really kind of shaking the bush trying to see what's going on. She's going through my, my ex-wife at the time to try to figure out what's going on in my head. Like my, you know, my working, like what's going on and. I just didn't, yeah, I was so depressed. I didn't have a chance to, you know, I didn't work. And we're putting on wine wine fests and stuff like that. We're volunteering on the side. I've got cases of wine in the basement. These cases of wine are lasting, like, case of wine, 12 bottles will last a week, if not, like, five days. And the whole time, then, then you know, I, then I could get a little head of steam. You know, life seemed to go my way a little bit. Then I'd get a little head of steam, and I'd feel like the drink wasn't the problem again. And then, yeah, next thing I know, uh, we're having big, my wife and I at the time, we're having major complications trying to have a kid. She's going through absolute hell. It floors me today, like how strong that woman is and and what she was able to do in the time, basically by herself, because I'm too involved in self. I've got another good crack with another good company in the oil patch, and all I can think about is, you know what, this kid thing isn't working out, so I'm going to go out and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to get a big house. I'm going to get a big truck. So what am I going to do? Am I going to be at home with, you know, the person I love, the person I care about, the person that would, you know, move mountains to have me in their life? Nah. Now I'm going to be out at work. So I'm back to work in seven, eight weeks at a time. And we just grew apart. And you and I were talking about the other day, like, you know, she just had some major operations due to a miscarriage, like some really major operations that no woman should ever have to go through. And, you know, it's like the... I don't even know if the stitches are out and I'm out at work and shouldn't have been out at work in the first place. Uh, I'm out at work and I wound up denting the side of my truck. I'll never forget. I was just crushed. You know, I'm calling her, I'm talking to her. And I'm like, I'm just crushed. I'm like, I can't believe it. Like, this is so bad. Like, you know, it's really bad. Like I dented the brand new truck and she's like, you think that's bad? Have you seen my stomach? Have you seen the scars? Have you seen like the wounds that I have? You're worried. You're more worried about your truck. And I was just like, Huh, I guess, yeah. This is crazy. Like, the substance is one thing for sure. Like, to sit here and to talk about all the times of the blackout drunk and everything else, but the self end of this. I wasn't drunk when I did that. I was bald ass sober. Wasn't high. I wasn't smoking dope. I was out on the job. I was straight as an arrow. And I did damaged straight as an arrow like I would have if I was drunk it was I don't know it, only today only today do I get those realizations of how dangerous self is when it manifests itself through my through my actions through my words so what happened there of course another burn down another divorce you know a divorce so do I oh. so I want to get in there <coughs> 
you just reminded me of something like, fuck, there's so many similarities with your journey and my journey. And one of the similarities is the manifestations of self as you're talking about, which we're oblivious to back then. This is just life, right? And, you know, my ex-wife knew what she was getting into when she got together with me. And so this is what you get. And anyway, my, my wife at the time, common-law wife, she already had a daughter. And we started the family that way. And then my wife got pregnant and she got really big. She's a tiny woman. And then she got really big, right? She had this big belly. And I had just started my company not too long before. And I had to really put a lot of time and effort into my company, right? But it was all about me. Everything was about me. And my wife, just like yours, she was like, she put up with a lot of my shit. She was like an angel on earth. And like, I remember when I first... I'm going to say kicked her to the curb because I didn't want her. I was so selfish and so broken that I thought I was better than that. And then once I first kicked her to the curb, I realized one day, I'm like, who else is going to put up with your shit, bro? Who else is going to deal with you like this? She's a kind and compassionate and beautiful physically and beautiful inside. Like, give this woman a chance, dude. So then I did, right? I went back. I went back with my tail between my legs and I begged for her to come back in my life and she did. And then, so we started this, this journey as building a family that wasn't planned, but it was happening. And then I remember she gave me a ride to, I rented this trailer out on this acreage and I had all my equipment storage stored there. And so she brought me to work one day and I had had my first two years of business in. So I had bought a couple nice vehicles. They were older, but they were like mint. So she drives in, drops me off. I leave the truck. And like, you got to remember, I'm pretty angry and pretty volatile and pretty violent. I wasn't violent to her, but my words hurt her many times. And uh, she walked on some eggshells. And she has her own experience in her own life, which already has produced some of the eggshell walking based on her history of her own life. Anyway, so she drops me off and she's backing out of my driveway in this beautiful chevy blazer that i had bought just mint and she hit my dump truck with it and while i was walking around the front of my truck i saw my dump truck shake and i fucking go did she just hit my fucking truck with my truck and i run back around to see that she had dented my jimmy my blazer and i fucking lost my shit bro i was so mad at her and she was, I can picture her today, how scared she was just knowing that she had done that to my truck and then seeing me come around the corner, like she was terrified. And I was just like so angry and I just said, just fucking leave, just get out of here before I fucking lose it. And she laughed, right? But just the fear that I put in her and how much value and stock I had in these things. And I didn't give a fuck about her being like eight months pregnant and her other daughter being there or nothing. It was just about me. And I didn't give two fucks about anybody else. And, you know, it was so sad. It was so sad that I would be like that and then I would treat somebody like that. I do my best today to treat her with the utmost respect. And we have a great relationship today. But dude, my selfish, self-centered nature of my whole life when I look back, it was so apparent. 
You mentioned another thing is you're like, you could get good jobs. You could get the opportunities. You could always get whatever it was. And there was always the promise that this was going to be it. This was going to set up your life. But then you'd burn it down. And that is such a trait of an alcoholic and addict to, to put these things, number one, and then go get it and then burn it down. And then the next thing is going to fucking make your life the best that it's ever been. And then that doesn't work. And then the next thing and the next thing and the next thing. And never is there enough, right? Really, never is there enough. There wasn't enough money. They couldn't pay you enough money. The bidding war is great because it just just makes my ego feel like I'm the best fucking thing since sliced, sliced cheese, right? And that those experiences that you're detailing in great detail, dude, and I feel that shit. But that's not whatever. That just gave me some relief and it actually made me feel worse about myself down the road being like that. But it was all in my subconscious and I didn't understand what I understand today. So that was pretty powerful, bro. So as you're going through your life, hurting your wife, hurting your your people that care, people that are giving you opportunities like businesses, they're letting you go because you're too toxic. You're too angry. You're too demanding. You're too much of an asshole. I was called that many, many times. And I would always be told, you say shit that everyone's too afraid to say. So that just fueled my ego. But really, I wasn't really kind about shit. Yeah, maybe some of what I said had truth, but I did it in such a nasty way. And yeah, other people might have wanted to say those things, but I always had the balls to. But really, honestly, Bryce, it was just symptoms of my brokenness. And I can say those same things today, but a kind and loving way. And they actually produce the results that I that I would hope and I don't even have to try right because it's done so differently so now you've disconnected with your wife she's having these surgeries you're fucking bitching about this dent in your truck just like I did and she's like are you fucking blind Bryce look at my body look at my belly look at the sacrifices I've done for us you're fucking calling me selfishly to bitch about your fucking truck and then eventually it it demises into divorce right so, yeah, take us from there. Comment on anything I've said, whatever, bro, and keep on rolling this. Yeah, I hit a lot of the, a lot of the waves with that, Bill. Yeah, it, uh, it hurts today to look back. Like, not only was I screwing up relationships like that, I just, I didn't have any genuine friends. If they were, they were either like the nicest people on earth, and they probably looked at me like a charity case. Or, you know what, or we kind of matched up. I, I've never really had a lot of friends because I was always too invested in self and I was always too, you know, agitated or too, you know, like, yeah, I was a professional asshole for a lot of things. And I said some really, like, when I'm in self, I am very cruel. Like, I, I aim to hurt and I do it well. And it, uh, it's one of the worst attributes one can have, but it's an attribute, it's an attribute that, that I have and I can use that attribute today to see if self's manifesting or if I'm manifesting my, you know, God through me or whatever. But yeah, that it's hard to talk about. It's hard to bring up. That woman was amazing. We used to, you know, hit the coast fishing. We used to, you know, we we're the type of people we could pack up truck. We, you know, put the tents in the truck and we could go across Canada, you know, go from Dawson Creek all the way out to Kinemat, sit there, fish on the river for a little bit, do one fishing charter, come back with a cooler full of, full of fish and, and not argue once like we could set up a camp no problem 
Like I've never been with a person like that where we just keyed off and I just, it, it floored me. It was like three months. It was three solid months of like counseling, any book, self-help book I could read, anybody that would give me an ear, which you know what, when you've burnt it down, you've been such a jackass your whole life. Fuck, not many people want to really be like, oh, so, oh, so now you need something. What about me? You know, it's kind of so, luckily my dad kind of coached me through and I, and I worked my way through that divorce and I, it was a lot of work and it was hard work and I did a lot of work on self and a lot of, you know, a lot of, with the counseling and the self-help books and everything else and here I am, I'm back in Calgary, I moved back here, I, I rented my house up, up in Dawson Creek, my, my stepdad gave me a great opportunity to start a business down here and work in the city and not have to be away from home because I being super smart, what I had done was I allocated the fact that it was because I was away from home, that's what the problem was. I just need to be home now and then all my problems will go away, right? Because I'm smart, I'm figuring this stuff out on the fly, right? So here I am and, you know, linked up with another amazing woman. Like when you figure out all my deficits, the, the woman I have now, like my girlfriend, when you figure out all my deficits and you, you put all her strengths over top of my debt, like she like... We are a whole person when we met. Like we match up very well like that. She's very good with paperwork. She's very good with numbers. She's very good with paying bills. She's very good with, you know, so many things. Organization, all the things where I fall short, she comes in. And then she has a, a reasonably creative mind and she, you know, she likes taking things apart and putting them back together. Well, that's my specialty. How do you want it done? But here I am and everything, all the work that I'd done, you know, I'd, I'd been licked again, and I was like, this time I'm really, you know, I got this, right? So I'm, I'm going to, so what do I do? I get into this relationship, and it was like, I bet you five months after, you know, after the, the three months that I'd really put in, here I am, I'm in a new relationship, which is way, way too soon. And uh, self is just manifesting itself yet again. You know, we move in together. You know, it's constant fights, it's constant bickering. The job, I'm just, I'm not happy at my job because I work by myself now. An alcoholic stuck by himself. Yeah, that's, I'm operating a semi, excuse me, a crane truck. You know, a big crane truck in the city. So I'm like, well, I shouldn't be doing that drunk. I don't want to kill somebody. You know, so I'm, I'm sitting there and I'm dry and I'm doing this. And it's like, oh, this is a freaking nightmare. So, yeah, I... Found my little releases here and there. It's funny because I lived there for three years. And, you know, when I told her I joined the program and that it's sober, that, you know, I decided to become sober. She's like, you're not an alcoholic. I'm like, how often do, do we ever have a liquor cabinet living together? She goes, ah, no. I'm like, but we bought a lot of booze, right? Oh, yeah. She's like, you went to bed. I drank everything. I just fucking drank. And I don't know. Dumb and tough. If you're going to be dumb, you better be tough. So there I was, up in the morning, going to work, getting it done. You know, my uncle's 29 years sober, and it didn't make a lot of sense. So this will tie back, like, start to integrate into when I came into the program. But when I first came in, I'm, I'm, I'm looking around the room. There's a lot, of, a lot of people that had to suffer a lot to get in there, and are still suffering. And it was, I'm sitting there, and I'm trying to, like, my, I'm, I'm trying to figure out, like, where do we match here? Like, where's the similarity? Like, where's the common thread that binds us all together? And it's like, went to jail, you know, homeless, went to jail, homeless, you know, and I'm sitting there and 
today I like I match up with every fucking person in there. I you know I can sympathize and I can understand everything. But at that time I was trying to figure out where I matched, and it was ego. And I was sitting there looking. I was like, I never. I'd always swooped really low. I'd always gotten like eviction. You know, I'd been evicted once, but after that, I I wasn't evicted after that. But I'd lost houses. I'd you know done a whole bunch of stuff i'd I'd blown up relationships i'd I'd blown up careers i'd blown up good jobs i'd blown up great friendships with amazing people and i'm sitting there and i'm I'm, and i'm trying to figure out like i just you know i've never been homeless so i guess i'm not an alcoholic i've never been addicted to to cocaine or crack or meth but i've done them all so i guess i don't fit in here you know i've been in the drunk tank I've, i've you know i've been in handcuffs plenty I guess I've never been to the jail side of it, though. Almost had to go to remand, but got out of that. So I guess I'm not. So I'm trying to, you know, my first meeting, I was sitting there and I was looking at all this. And I was like, well, I guess I'm not. And luckily, my first meeting, got a big book. And I got a sponsor that believed in the big book. And that that's what changed my life. It was my first meeting. And getting to that point where me and this girl, self had manifested itself to oblivion and beyond to the point where we now have two kids and we are almost physically fighting in the house with the kids and I'm like I had to go she kicked me out I had to go so I left and here I am without my kids and that was the the lowest I'd ever taken myself that was me blackout drunk four to five to six nights of the week that was, you know, my my business, like, scraping, like, on red line. Like, just basic, barely having a pulse. And my life, just me looking at it going, again. I'm back to bottom. Back to everything scraping along. Back to that disappointment in myself. And when I was out there acting in self, and I was out there in active addiction, and I was out there... One of the worst parts was the fact that I continually disappointed myself. I continually let myself down. I continually did the things that I knew I couldn't do, but I did them. And it made no sense. You know, I'm, I'm not a stupid person. I'm not, you know, it, it was just, it was, it was so hard and so frustrating in the time to sit there and go like, I, I ruined a, you know, I was engaged in my early 20s. I was, I was married in my mid 30s. And here I am, now I've got kids, and I'm completely out of their lives. And I'm just looking at it going like this, this cycle has to like, it's just, it's just too much. And so that's when the nine mil shell, you know, I've got guns and I put a nine mil shell on my, on my nightstand. And I looked at that thing, I said, one day, one day that is, I'm going to use it. Because it's just, there's nothing left. There's no hope. You know, all those times I'd built it up, I was able to muster up and hold on to a little bit of hope and whatever else. And that's funny because the movie that we're kind of, that we're uh, premiering tonight and or tomorrow and speaking at and everything else, it's, uh, that was right, that was about four months before I came into the program. About six. And I was drunk, showing up late to the thing and everything else. And here I'm watching a very impactful movie about men- mental illness, about drinking, about, you know, a lot of these aspects and I'm just sitting back watching it just going like holy cow like this is my life right now but whatever I'm just scraping along scraping along just getting enough just to you know enough hope to scrape along a little bit longer a little bit more hope scrape a little bit long a little bit longer 
finding out truly, I, I never had the courage to put that bullet in a gun. Never, I, I didn't have enough courage. Not when I, no. I had enough courage to go buy another bottle. I had enough courage at that time. I thought I was really smart. And this is when marijuana, weed became illegal. So what I'd do is I'd eat a whole bunch of edibles. So I'd, I'd, you know, to pass myself out at night, I'd eat a whole bunch of edibles. And then it only took about half as much booze to get me to black out because Jordan Peterson talks about it. It's when you only have a little bit of consciousness, you don't want it. And I didn't. I, I worked long enough to be able to make enough money, to pay the bills, to go to the bar, to have the steak sandwich, to start drinking pints, start pounding pints so that I could go to the liquor store, grab some more, go home and drink myself into oblivion. And that's, that's, that was a cycle for four or five months. It started like, and then it, and then it got even, it, it progressed. It progressed to where my kids, I, 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 I finally worked and I'd, I'd struggle and I'd, fought with my girlfriend to finally get to the point where she had no choice but I at least had the kids on weekends I, I got I graduated up to a place I went from living with a buddy living with my mom and back to living in a place I got the kids bedrooms I got everything set up and now I got the kids for week yeah, for three out of four weekends a month I fought my ass off to get there and here I am on the weekend you know sending them to bed early on trumped up charges so I get after and get drinking there my kids are passed out. I'll never forget one night, you know, I passed out in bed beside my son. And then you wake up the next day, they're, you know, they're like three and one. They don't know what the hell's going on. They, they know nothing. Three and two, like they're, they're super young. You know, they just want to be, you know, they're glad to be with dad in there. It's like, well, what are we going to do today? Let's just hang out and watch movies. I'm a bit hungover. You know, and it was, I found in my life, disappointing myself became pretty natural. And I was just like, that was going to happen no matter what. But when I started disappointing my kids, that's when I like, I, there has to be another avenue. And I never found it. I never found the avenue. I never found the thing. You know, at that time, like, no, like, no matter what I did, it didn't matter. No human power. You know, doing crafts, doing this, reading this book, reading that book. <coughs> not, nothing was there. Nothing, nothing had impact. Until the fateful evening, you know, it was January, you know, it finally dawned on me as like, I got to, I got to sober up. I got to stop. At least I got to stop the drinking because that seems to be a problem now. I got to stop the drinking. So I was going to have a sober January. I think I started January 2nd. I was like, okay, you know what? It's January 2nd, whatever. Start a little late, better late than never. And I'll get after it. Okay. Hold on. I want to interject there. Um, you know, you're describing, you know, looking for something to, to pull you awake, to shake you awake. And, you know, you're talking about sleeping beside your kids and, you know, waking up and they don't know what's going on. And fucking in, then in the morning, it's like, let's just hang out and watch some movies because you're too hungover. Right. And that that little snippet just reminded me of so many years of like me wanting to shake out of it my kids like i'd be in the garage pretending like i was working putting tools away all i'm doing is smoking fucking crap my kids are running around i lived on this acreage my kids are running around the acreage jumping on the tramp having fun and like by now my guilt and my shame are so bad that i like i'm not even present even in anything 
And they would come, Dad, jump on the tramp, jump on the tramp. And you know how terrified I was to go jump on the trampoline with my kids when I remember years before? I was jumping and playing and flipping and running around and throwing the, the ball for the dog and just being like a dad, right? And I was such a shell of a human being and that guilt and the shame of me letting myself down like you had described constantly to the point where I didn't know what to do either, bro. And I was so like ashamed of the father that I was, even though they didn't even really know it. But of course they knew something because this is all energetic, right? They're feeling it. My wife didn't know what was wrong at all, but she knew something was wrong. And I think they had discussions and she told the kids, <coughs> she told the kids that I was depressed, which I was because I couldn't get out of bed, dude. And if I get, got out of bed, I had a hoot and then I was fucked because I couldn't interact with any human being anyway. Like, fuck, dude. Like that life is so fucking terrible. I never want to return to that guilt and shame and confusion and fucking blackness but through the demise of my life and getting into the and there was a part of me dude that was like well it can't get much worse and I remember when we were losing our house I was telling my wife I'm like can't get much worse well Bryce I'll tell you bro it got a fucking lot worse it can always get worse so luckily I found my own path to recovery and, and you know, that's why we're buds here today. So, so take us into that January area where now you're like, fuck, I can't do this. Right. And you're, you're now moving along the path in the right direction, but you don't really know it yet. Right. Yeah. Thanks Bill. Yeah. It was, uh, the, it was a divine intervention, you know, my, my older brother, you know, my bro, you know, he came over to the house and him and I were meeting. He brought me a, I forget what the bottle it was, Pendleton's or something really nice from the States. He's like, here, man. I'm like, crap. You know, I was, I'm trying to have a, a sober January here. Like, you know, I'm trying to, trying to watch it. But I was like, you know what? I'll just, I'll put it. It's, it's a really nice bottle. I'll be able to keep it on the shelf. I'll be able to, you know, just look at it, whatever. And I'll just, I'll have my sober January off. I'll go. So I was like, yeah, I forget what that was January 4th or 5th. And then he left that night. I don't, I think I, I don't know if I drank it that night or the next night, but it was, uh, yeah. You know, he'd handed me the bottle and he'd like, man, he's like, I, you know, I've been through some low times. And I'm like, oh yeah, bro. Like you, he's like a couple times I went, I went to an AA meeting, help me out. You know, it, uh whatever, do whatever you want with that. But he goes, I've been to those meetings, you know, and they, they helped me through that low time. You know, do I think I'm an alcoholic? He's like, I don't know, but you know, maybe it'll help you. And I was like, well, fuck, whatever. I'm not going to drink the bottle. So well, that's nonsense anyways. So then very shortly after that, here I am drunk. And I'm like, well, better go give it a shot. So I'll never forget. It was a one thirty. I think it was a Thursday, one thirty or something. I pull up into the Garnet Block, and my God, he told me the app. So I'm looking, you know, and I'm looking for the ad. Like I got the address, and I'm trying to find the fricking place. And like I had to earn it, because it it didn't it doesn't really describe, you know, where the 
and the garnet block used to have that yoga sign and then there was a little discreet aa thing so i'm looking like all through that building like walking all over looking 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 i can't find it i can't find it finally like you know i felt like as i was looking for it it's like this is a test anything worth anything worth getting is worth you know working for so here i am i'm working for it but luckily i found it walk down them stairs and there's this you know it's a beautiful place but it's a dingy red room full of people and i'm just sitting there just just scared i was so scared i i just lost options i had there was no other options and here i am sitting at this thing going i have no idea it's almost like being an alcoholic the admittance of that is like some lesser form or something or you know i had to be i had to get broken down quite a bit to actually go in there and want to say yeah you know what my name is bryce and i'm an alcoholic and i just remember sitting there and going through the meeting and hearing things and so many things were just walloping my chest you know there's a couple guys with like you know a couple months sobriety there's you know that 130 meeting at Lock. I mean, oh my lord, back then you had Bill W, you had a whole bunch of old school, old time, good sobriety people with great messages. And oh, it was just, I'll never forget sitting there. And just, it was like as if people were talking straight to my heart. They under, finally somebody understood me. And not so much the booze, but why the booze? Why the anger? Why the cycle? The cycle of build it up, throw the throw the stick in your front front spokes of your front wheel, and over the handlebars you go and blame everybody other than the guy who threw the stick in there, which was me. And it finally all like it just. And they they asked me to share my first meeting on like podium meeting. You got up to the podium and there I'm just bawling my eyes out. I can't stop. I'm scared. Like this substance, this thing is it's it's just taken completely over my life. You know, and it was, it was such surface level understanding of my problems at that time, but it was enough to like, okay, I'm here. You know, and after the meeting, the, the way the members came up, you know, came up like, hey man, how you doing? Like the way the fellowship actually operates and actually is constructed that, you know, here's people like, hey man, you need help? I got your back, man. I finished off that meeting. I'm like, well, you know, the people were talking about the big book. What is this big book thing you speak of? here there's one right here well okay here's 20 bucks thanks you know and then clint my first sponsor like luckily you know clint's down there he's like well you want to do a set of steps i'm like honestly at that time if you would have told me standing on my head for two hours in a corner would have stopped me from the desire to drink myself to death yeah cool which corner let's go you know so i, I got in there and it was you know it was that's at, at the start of my recovery right at right at the start when i first walked in it was so superficial and there i was i was starting you know clint luckily he took me around to a whole bunch of meetings all over the city ca na aa church churches like wherever we were going because I, I found what i was always looking for was that message that came out at that 130 meeting i took like when i first sobered up i took like four or five days off work to to basically detox and get my crap together. Then I hit that 1.30 meeting, then I'd hit like the five, you know, I'd just pound meetings in galore. But I'd, I was found I'd never really found what that 1.30 meeting had. And that meeting left me leaving there with hope. 
because so many people in that room had hope and they shared that hope what do you like when you share something like everybody's gonna get it if you share strength everybody's gonna get a little strength and those meetings like yeah the one member he could talk and it did I don't know if you decided you want what we have. I was looking at him. I was like, I want what you have. And it wasn't, it didn't have anything to do with his money or wealth or whatever. It was his deportment. I'm looking at this guy and his, his calm demeanor and unshakable. And he had experience and he'd been through a path probably worse than mine. And here he was up there believing in himself and loving himself. And I'm just young little, you know, new to the program. I'm looking at this going like, if that's the target, then sweet that's what i'm aiming at and how do i get there you know i used to bill used to give me crap all the time you know carrying my big book into a meeting well like linus with his little blanket and i'm like well until it's here i gotta carry it in my hand until i got this thing in my heart it's gonna have to suffice being in my hand because people are quoting this thing and it seems to be working for them and i'm gonna you know try to figure it out and it did it helped and then carried on kept going to meetings and started following the following the dictates you know I, it's funny with clint as i'm sitting there and going to different na and ca meetings and i was always trying to my ego was it felt attacked you could tell self understood that it was it was getting bombed so it wanted me out of the meetings it wanted me it wanted me to go now it was quite happy my ego myself was was quite happy doing that cycle of burn and destroy and build, burn, destroy, build. And uh, it wanted me out of those meetings really bad. I'm sitting there looking at people and they're sharing their story and, you know, which a little bit of it was kind of drunk logs, but talking about, you know, being thieves and going to jail and, you know, all these things. And I'm using that new in the rooms and I'm using that as like a little bit of a filter to go, well, okay, am I on oak? Do I match with that? And I, I don't, right? So it was, it was challenging for me at first. But I stuck with it. I kept going to meetings. I, I was honest with my sponsor. It was hard to be honest to sit there and say, dude, you know what? I'm, I don't feel like an alcoholic today. All right, let's go back to step one. No problem. Check. And I'm like, oh, man, like I just got up to step three. That's okay. We'll start over. Back at it again. And it's so funny because my understanding of step one today, after doing the full set of steps with somebody that I really respect that really has a good depth of knowledge in the program and the and the book the literature my understanding of step one today is like thousands of times deeper than that because not do i i don't just look at the substance today i don't look I, I look at self and i look at the anger i look at the all these you know things that i that i use to to cover up the anger the lust the jealousy all these things that you know these negative emotions that i would get drunk on and feast on you know like st step one for me today is it's, it's huge the allergy of the body the obsession of the mind the mental blank spot and the, the cunning baffling and powerful i always said it in a meeting like a bottle of alcohol is an inanimate object it can't jump at me it can't talk to me it can't fucking do anything other than be a bottle of fucking alcohol sitting over there on a fucking table. It can't open its own lid. It can't pour itself out. Yet it's a danger to me. 
you bring up a good point. I always say the alcohol itself, that bottle over there or whatever it is, the substances, that's not the what's cunning, baffling and powerful. That is an object. What's cunning, baffling and powerful is my mind. It's the, the inability to say no to that. If I live in these emotions, if I live in the anger, if I live in whatever it is that I'm living in, that my brain needs some type of relief for, it will fucking seek out the relief that it's always gotten. And, you know, you had explained early in your story how alcohol and drugs, they did work to whatever degree. And our brain goes, yes, I need relief. I need it now. What's always given it to me? That booze, that drug. I need it. I need relief. I need it now. And then we're powerless and we will put it in our systems. And if we don't change how we think, the ideas that we're driven with, the emotions that drive us through the thinking, through our old experiences, through the childhood integration of whatever our dads and our moms and our society has kind of put on us to make life happy and important, which doesn't actually do it. And we're both, you know, proof of that. Um, and then you bring up a good point again, that brings me to the line of, I not a victim of the delusion that I can have satisfaction and happiness out of this world. If I only manage well, well, you're the victim. I'm the victim of this fucking delusion of a lie that if we just manage and run our own life and try to get it all placed in this, this chess game of life perfectly, that we're going to be happy. What it actually brings us to, because we're trying to manipulate life to deliver us what we think it is, based on our own selfish self-centeredness, what it actually takes us to is that place where we're both sitting with our kids going, we're fucked. And you thought about a bullet, I thought about driving into a semi. That's where that takes us. So yeah, I've been a victim. Where did, where did I learn to be the victim? Victim means someone that's been tricked or duped. Society's tricked me businesses have tricked me money's tricked me my parents have tricked me with all these ideologies that if i just do it like this with the foundation of self it's all going to work out and i'm going to be happy uh, that's the lie though that's the delusion that i can rest rest meaning pry grab snatch take out of life satisfaction and happiness no i can't take what's outside of me and make me happy on the inside. I got to start on the inside. It's an inside job. Once I get good on the inside, then everything gets good on the outside. And the proof in the literature of exactly what I'm saying is in the step four, there's a line and I say this line all the time, you know, character defects, which is the manifestations of self, which is the behaviors that are self-destructive, the character defects representing the instincts gone astray it's the instincts that actually drive all these character defects the instinct for my desire for sex relation emotional security is a big one material security to be okay with fucking secure in in my house and with money and with stuff right and my desire for companionship but i think to me the emotional security kind of drives most of it I want, I want to feel good within my peers, within my business associates, within my intimate relationships with my kids, with society at large. And that really drives it. And it's a lot of it, when we act in self, it's based in the validation. It's based in other people thinking that I'm okay. 
And then I got to live up and be okay. And it's, it's really destructive, right? And it takes years to kind of get to what we're talking about and be able to see that in ourselves and how that works and how self gets, self is what's cunning, baffling, and powerful. So back to the line. Character defects representing instincts gone astray has been the primary cause, the number one cause of our destructive drinking and failure at life. And it's actually the failure at life that causes the destructive drinking. Unless he is now willing to work hard at the elimination of the worst of these defects, if I don't work on these and bring them to my creator, if I don't see what they are first, which is what the steps do, then I won't have a chance of sobriety or becoming truly happy. That all the faulty foundation of his life have to be torn out and built upon a new bedrock. I got to tear down that faulty foundation of self. And I got to be able to see it and look at it. And work with somebody and be willing to go through this fucking trials and tribulations of looking at myself in ways that I don't really want to look at or acknowledge. Because I've been taught my whole life to really not look at it like that. And I've been validated by society my whole life with these kind of behaviors in many respects that it's supposed to be okay. But really, dude, deep down within us where God lives, it's not okay. And we can't carry on living like that or we'll fucking die. That the faulty foundation of this way of life has to be torn out. And typically for us, dude, when the very foundation of our lives is shaken, we will run to God then. But what we've learned now is when we run to God, we realize he's the one doing the shaking. And we get crushed by whatever the self-imposed crisis is again. And we have to fearlessly face the proposition that God's teaching us a lesson here. He is everything or he is nothing. And we got to learn that lesson and give it to him. And through that relinquishment, we fucking heal and we fucking let something more go. But it's not an easy process, right? It's fucking painful and it's hard. But we build upon this new bedrock and we slowly over time learn how to relinquish self. Learn how to not run our own lives. Learn that nothing happens in God's world by mistake. And then we get to these places where as we relinquish enough self... We want to be of service to our fellow human being. And through the service to our fellow human being and love for ourselves, we find what we've been always looking for. But we weren't taught like that. So it took the blackness and through the blackness, which is a gift. It's a gift today. Because without that blackness and the darkness, I wouldn't have the gratitude that I have for the life I have today. And I got to remember that my life is contingent on that gratitude today. My life is contingent on the spiritual maintenance. My life is contingent on service. My life is contingent on the inventories and watching out for these manifestations of self as we get older and more time in the stuff that's deep down. It still needs to come up. So we got to be diligent and vigilant and be on guard and be willing to bring God into these new areas as they get revealed, right? Here you go, bro. That was a lot of the program and, and quite a bit of a shot. Yeah, it's, uh, I don't know. I was a one to three master eight at the start there. One to three, one to three, one to three. And it was such surface level nonsense, you know, just surface level understandings. And uh, I'll never forget when it hit, when it really clicked. I was on my second sponsor. And something was just clicking, you know, that man, he brings brings the man he brings so much god he's there's no choice it's gonna rub off on you like it is it is powerful his story his message and the way that man lives his life it was so powerful 
And I'm so grateful that I had the opportunity to, you know, to, to, to know Kaiser now and to have him take me through a, you know, up to three. I, he fired me because I didn't make it to four. I was one, like I said, I was one to three for a year and a half. But uh, I did my three and then I was reading the third step, third step prayer anymore every morning. I was getting on my knees. I'd get on my knees. I'd say, you know, read the third step prayer off the, uh, off off the sheet there, and then I would leave the threshold of the bedroom in my house, and I would be so wound up, you know, it was instantly like go 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 go. Okay, I got to do this. I got to do that. Got to do this. Got to do that. Fuck, 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 right? And I was just like, man, like holy cow, like ah, it isn't working. I'll keep doing it though. This is a program of if it ain't working, just keep doing it. If it's in the program, if it's in the book, if it isn't working right now, keep doing it. So I kept doing it. I kept getting on my knees. I kept saying that prayer. And like they say, more shall be revealed. And I'll never forget. I will never forget this moment for the rest of my life. I was driving up Métis Trail in my big crane truck. And all of them sitting there. And finally, I've got this thing memorized. And I came across the line. Take away my difficulties. Take away my difficulties so that victory over them may bear witness to those I may help. I'm like, okay, they wrote it wrong. Right there. Right there, I was just like, I just had this, that, that, was, that, that was the click. That, that made everything click. Made the contract click. It made the agreement click. It made everything click. And I'll never forget that moment. The spiritual awakening that, that conducted that moment. I was just like, you know what? We need to get, you know, here I'm having fun with it now. I'm like, you know, like, oh, we need to get Bob and Bill up. And we need to tell them you screwed that line up. You take away my difficulties so that I could finally have a nice truck that I don't fucking wreck. So that I could have a nice house that I don't wreck. So that I could have a, a great, you know, family and, and life and wife that I don't wreck. Just give me all that stuff, God. Just give it to me. And here I'm asking, you know what, take away my difficulties, take away my struggles and, and so that I can go out and I can look at the man beside me and say, hey man, you okay? Need a hand? And if I do that, if I look over at that guy and say, hey, you need a hand? What happens to my problems? Like this contract here, that like this agreement that is, that is laid in front of us, it's, it's simple. Yet I see so many people in the program, just they don't believe in it. They don't buy in wholesale. They just, it's, it's that surface level. You know, like you and I were talking about Bob D and the, you know, pushing the guy in the wheelbarrow across the, the tightrope. You know, that's, that's how this is. And then, but like in We Agnostics, where they're talking about a, you know, a light bulb or a steel girder. You know, there's laws and principles that, that operate within that light bulb that are very complex and, and very, very difficult to understand. But I go up to that light switch and I don't have a second thought that the second I flip that switch up, that light isn't going to come on. When I walk in that mall, when I walk in that building, I see that big, nice, fancy steel girder sitting there holding that structure up. I don't think twice about walking underneath it. And I love how when we agnostics, they're laying it out that that is what, that is the, the idea we're, we're trying to form here. You know, like Jesse says, like a, like a house of cards, God. You know, like you and I were talking, you're like, you know, like we're building this, this relationship on, this, on this, this cornerstone, on this, we're building the foundation. I got builder of the year every year, builder of the year. The reason I got that is because I had to rebuild every fucking year. 
I was the ma I was a master a master builder. I put them all on Jello though, and they fell apart. I didn't use glue. I didn't use screws. I didn't use nothing. I used self will. Didn't work. So today it's you know that the cornerstone, the foundation of the every thought and idea that I try to manifest through myself is based upon God. Period. It's just because I bought into that, and the the second I the second I realized that line in the third step prayer was the second that I realized, take away my difficulties. I've had so many difficulties in my life. I've had so much pain in my life that I caused by myself that I could not stop from reoccurring. Nothing worked. I could not stop it from continually raking me through the coals. Drunk, sober, it did. It, it, to me, it really didn't seem to matter. Just the progressiveness of this d disease, the drunk started taking over. But I was fucking throwing my life away all the time. So here I am. Take away my difficulties. You sure you can handle that, God? Because I got a lot of difficulties, man. And I do. I got a ton of difficulties. And he takes care of them. Because he's got a lot of work for me to go out there and do. So I want to add in on that. I know that line and I've had some awakenings with that line as well. Um, and I agree that you're 100% right. And you had that awakening driving down Métis Trail and that line came into your head and it was like, take away these problems that I have. Why? So I can be of service to somebody else. Now I'm going to throw another twist in it. Take away my difficulties that cause all my difficulties. Take away my defects of character. Take away the broken parts of me that I act out in. That I don't know that I'm acting out in because I'm trying to rest my satisfaction and happiness out of these defects so that I can draw to me what it is that I think will make me happy. Please take away the selfishness, the dishonesty, resentment and fear that is based in my instincts. Please take away these difficulties because they cause me all my difficulties for one reason so that I can be of maximum service to God and the fellows about me relieve me God of that bondage of self because I am so tied to my own self-concernedness that I will use all of these difficulties to always try to draw what it is that I think I need and it's all rooted in those instincts for sexual relation emotional material security and companionship God build with me do with me as thou wilt Strip me down, take away all these things, allow me to be rebuilt so that I can, what? Be reborn into a new life, into basically into the image and likeness of you, God, which I am fundamentally because that fundamental idea is within every man, woman, and child, and it's within me. But it's often obscured by calamity, pomp, and worship of other things. Well, it's the pomp of self, based on those difficulties, those defects. And those difficulties and defects want me to worship the ideologies because I've learned them. The women, the money, the status, the validation. So I worship all of these things. And when I act out in these worships and I'm trying to arrange life to suit myself, I cause so much calamity. But once I start clearing that away, I can get down to that fundamental idea of God within me, love. And it's built right into me and it's there to actually guide my life. 
but I've learned to do it a different way that hasn't served me. Until I'm crushed by this way of life, I won't be able to see another way out. And some people don't get crushed enough and they end up spending their whole lives living a life that they weren't really meant to live because we're meant to live the truth of who we are. And I think this program actually brings that out of us. It goes inside of us and allows us to be who we're truly meant to be. And you had said that the program, a lot of the messages in the rooms, they're not buying into that. I don't think a lot of people are buying in because that's not the message that they're hearing. So a guy like you that was an asshole that would hurt people with his words, a guy like me, very similar. Now we can use that seemingly defect or that difficulty that caused us a lot of pain as an asset now. Because as we align the personality with the purpose of what we're here for, we can use our personalities for good. And that's a big reason why we're sitting here today is because I heard you share. I heard the power in your words. I heard your passion. I heard everything and I resonated. And so that attracted me to you and vice versa, right? Because we're very similar in that way. So now we go from here to be spearheads of God's ever advancing creation. Well, what's God's ever advancing creation? It's based in love, based in service, based in kindness. And then we find everything we ever wanted. But we can't just stay way up in the fucking clouds with God. Our feet need to be firmly planted here on earth. Because that is where our work must be done. The book said that is where our fellow travelers are. There is nothing incompatible between a life of sane and happy usefulness and a vital spiritual experience. So I can have the vital spiritual experience, live up there with God, but still do the work down here because that's where it has to be done. And the work has to be done by being the light by shining the light so that other people can come towards that light because dark always comes towards the light. So people that are living in their dark can come to you and come to me and we can help them transmit their own light, right? And that's the basic gist of what the fuck we're doing around here. And it is simple, not easy, but simple, right? Once you understand the, the basic concept of the cornerstone that we don't build on jello anymore. We build it on a firm foundation of fucking trust in God. And to get to that point takes time. But if you're willing and that's where like your dad's determination and, and really stick to itiveness and don't give up, that's where it really plays a great role in your life today. You can take all of that focus and you put it into, I want God in my life. I want to work with service. I want to do the things that actually bring you value and bring other people value right so that's some pretty magical shit right there so as we're kind of getting around to the end here you know you were one two three one two three one two three but you didn't go out and drink so give our listeners a, a bit of a synopsis of once you got that sponsor that knew that and you that's kind of how me and you really got a little more connected. I was kind of giving you the gears about what the fuck are you talking about, bro? You're on step three. Like you really want to be fucking effective. Do the rest of your steps so that you're living all the other shit that you know. So t talk about your journey with your sponsor and 
You know, like what did the four reveal and how did the four and the five and the six and the seven, the eight and the nine really strengthen that three decision and, you know, your 10, 11 and 12. Talk about whatever you want, but basically throw some of the the material that we learn. For the people that are listening that are one, two, threeers. Yeah, powerlessness is our problem. I had, uh, I had you built, yeah, Bill one time at a meeting. And I think it was on, uh, it's one of those real, you know, whopper of a three topic meeting and anger was up on the board or resent, uh, resentment was up on the, up on the board at Glenmore group and you were sitting behind me and you left me with my jaw on the floor, you know, to sin. I like Jordan Peterson, uh, to sin comes from the Greek word Marta, which is to miss the target. You know, I was always aiming for self-pleasure, self, you know, self-appearance, self this, self that. And if I missed, it was just a complete disaster. Even if I hit it, it was a disaster. So my aim was completely off. So I come into this program is like, well, what am I aiming at? You know, if you've decided you want what we have, okay, well, I'm looking around. I'm like, well, I want what that guy has. Well, I listen. How did he get it? What does he do? Well, that guy. And one time I had a guy sitting at a meeting. You know, he was sitting there saying that, you know, something really bad had happened to one of his daughters and he got the phone call. And the first thought that went through his mind was, if I carry this resentment that takes me away from my spiritual path, and if I lead away from that spiritual path, that could lead to me going down dark paths that I really don't like. So whatever bad thing happened, happened. And I forgave the person that caused a lot of it at that moment. And I heard that my jaw had bounced off the floor. I'm like, what? I'm like, I'm thinking of my daughter in that moment. I'm thinking of my daughter. I'm, I'm thinking about the, the scenario as it laid out. And I'm thinking about the resolve and the immediate action that that member had taken right there. And I am just like, so that's what I'm aiming for. I never knew what I was aiming for. And then I start hearing things like that at meeting. Like we don't understand what weight we have sometimes with some of the stuff we share, but that gave me a kind of, what am I aiming for? What's high, what's this high frequency, high water level? What is that? Is that talk? No, no, that's that action out there where 95% of the population would have failed that test. And here this member completely got straight A's, wasn't patting himself in the, wasn't dislocating his elbow trying to pat himself in the back sorry he's like yeah you want to know what this is about here you go do you think that's does that sound like powerless no that's not powerless that is powerful but full of god so i continually had these you know so then the, that member you know kind of looked at me this, this guy is like yeah i want what you have i'm aiming towards that and that member is like hey well you ain't going to fucking hit sweet dick all if you're where you're at. So you got to do better. Jack. Better it is that needs to be done. I had to sit there and talk to myself like, yeah, you know, I believe in it. It, it is talked about so much in the rooms. You can see people and it self is so cunning, baffling and powerful. You can see people and you can listen to their shares for a year, a year and a half, six months, three months, a long time period, long time, long comma, long time. You can listen to a lot and you can learn a lot about a person. You can see they're just going to go through the motions and they're not digging in. And you can sit there and pray for that person because you are. I'm not judging. But for the grace of God, there go I. 
Like, thank you, God, for showing me what happens if I'm just going to scrape the surface of this thing. That is a rough, rough ride. And I'm, I'm looking at these people and I'm not condemning them. I'm not, oh, I'm better than you. No, I want to help you. I hear them and I feel them in a, when they're sharing in, in a meeting. And then I'm, I, when I share, phew, it just comes out. I don't pre-plan it. I, I remember when I first came, I used to pre-plan, pre-meditate, pre-think about, you know, I'm going to say whatever, you know, matches with step three. So people think I know what step three is about. And today I'm trying to impact people's lives with step three as my life has been impacted. I'm trying to share experience, strength, and hope that they may one day solve their common problem. That's what a meeting is. So that was a bit of a tangent, but that guy gave me the target and then the guy gave me the gears for being on step three. And then the guy gave me the greatest gift ever, gave me a rock solid sponsor that I'd listened to that has this dialed in that has the experience the pain and the suffering in the addiction but also has the pain and the suffering seen through people failing and succeeding at sets of steps under them and i'm like yeah you know what this is one of the best shots i got i don't want to piss this away and then i get to i get to relive the pain a little bit i get to rewind the tape and remember what brought me into this thing even being in this thing when covid came about I didn't go to a meeting for like two and a half, three months, and it just came right. The, the, the fear, the anxiety, the pressure, the, the anger all just manifested itself right in my life. I'm sitting there just, ah, then all of a sudden, was it divine? I don't know. Hey, you know, started hitting meetings again, started getting my feet underneath me, started going. Then you and I, you know, you were like, hey, you should probably, and hey, you know, I won't sponsor you, but check out my buddy. And there I am doing a set of steps and my, my understanding, because I had that little lull, I got to see self manifest itself again and the presence and the danger and the disgust I have of self to, to push me into a set of steps, to push me past that three to get me to four. And that was so wild what, what my sponsor Jesse had laid out for me in that was he laid it out that here, you do the step three promises, step three prayer, patience, tolerance, and pity prayer. You do that every morning. And fundamentally, you are, you are bringing God with you. I was so afraid to go back. And I tell people, that's, I used to share at meetings all the time before I even had my four. Like, that's scary. You're going back into the dark recesses of our life. We just came out of that. I just clawed my way out of that, man. I barely made it out of that. Thank God I made it out of that. I want to go back in there. And it's only by the hand of God taking me down in there, going through all that, that I got the 25 names scratched out like nothing even happened. All it was was it went from blank piece of, pieces of paper to now full pieces of paper. The, the, the way the program is developed through step one, step two, and step three. And then like it's it's like the, it's by at step three, they're building to something. They're building to... You really need that power to go into those dark recesses, to go back, to go back down that path that you just clawed yourself out of by the grace of God. And you go back there. And the only way to go back ever through that, the only way I go back today is with God's hand to show me something that I need to learn. And I go back to that and I get that memory. Like, like right now, talking about all the wreckage of my past. But I brought God into this. I, I stay close to him on, on stuff like this. This is a tough mission. 
So I'm going to get him close. And that's what, that's what my sponsor did. Brought him right, right close. He instilled in me the, the fundamental idea of what God is. Gave me a found, uh, showed me how to build a foundation. Not a house of cards. He told me, stop using jello. Bad idea, brah. Yeah. Use rock. Use cement. Use some, put some rebar in there. You know, God isn't just everything that's great. That's a dangerous proposition when you see people, they come in, they sober up, they get a job, they get some wheels, they get a lady on the arm. More than likely, they got a black on black BMW. Right? God is everything great. And then they get that challenge that is going to create the growth in them that they need to level up to the next level. They get that challenge. Instead of it being presented as a challenge, it comes as that foundation, that rock crushes them. And when all it is is a challenge for us to grow. You go to the gym, you tear some muscles apart, you get sore, you're getting big, you're building. You know, like you and I, like you're building something, you're, you got the hammers out, you got the saws, you got to cut it to size, you got to hammer it in place. You got to get some nails, you got to beat the nails through it. Building is not a, an easy process. So if, it, if you don't fundamentally build this idea on, you know, th that it takes work, it takes a consistent, persistent commitment and 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 that foundation and always going back to that foundation and looking at that foundation is this enough to to sustain what i have maybe i keep going back and maybe do i need to add on that i found that quite a few times going back to that foundation saying how do i bolster that how do i make that a little bigger because the challenge is the the more sobriety and the more peace of mind i have the bigger the challenges are getting the the tests are getting bigger and that's what they are. They're all little tests. And, and the learning and the developing I get through these tests is, is blowing my mind. I have people now, like I have friends. I've got my job. My career is booming. My kids absolutely adore me. My girlfriend and I get along. The fights are like completely different. The benefits of my life are, are endless. There is no fear. I don't fear today, tomorrow, or the hereafter. I'm reborn. That's a period statement that there's, there's no, that's that moral, moral psychic change in the doctor's opinion that they're talking. And once it takes place, it's not permanent. It's not, it's, I, I wish it was, I, I wish this gift that I have today was, was permanent, but all I have is what I have today. I'm where I am today. And that scares the crap out of me because I love what I have today. So I do the work because I don't want to go back. Beautiful, bro. Awesome. Okay. So two things. One, your brother has been building a film that has a lot to do with what we're talking about. And he's trying to bring awareness as a lot of people commit suicide in our society based in living in that spiritual malady, i.e. some of that is defined as, in our society, mental health issues. And I watched the film on a pre-watch the last couple of days, and it was quite a, quite a great film. So, two things. I want you to plug your brother's movie a little bit, what the name of it is, um, where can people find it, and then what is your message for somebody new or struggling in the program. Yeah, so my brother filmed uh, February's Dog here in 
in Calgary, Alberta, three years ago. It's all local actors. You know, it's it's a group of uh, it's a mixed bag of nuts that came together, and he hit the nail on the head. It's uh, it's a it's a story of my brother because he was oil and gas as well as I was, and it was a story. It was it's what we've seen, and also some of the stuff that we've lived. Um, so it just it, it really tries to to put faces, to 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 put you know to put in front of people these decisions that when we make that say you know well we don't need to do this or we don't need to do that they make these political decisions and there's there's casualties there's consequences you know and that that doesn't mean that one way is better than another but it's uh you know i i think people need to see that and then it also it sh it shines a really bright light on and going hey man are you okay like when somebody in AA actually says that to another person in AA, they absolutely mean, hey, bro, are you okay? Or are we going for coffee? And then are we talking every day? Like, what do you need? Like, and it's just kind of, I, so I find it, it shines that light on civil in society because I have a lot of talks with people and today my talks are way deeper. I mean, when I was out there manifesting itself, it was all surface level nonsense. But what I get out of people today just floors me. But it's because I genuinely care. How are you? Tell me about you. You're cool. I tell you about me, but I'm a loser. You know, like I got, I'd rather you tell you tell tell me. I'll tell you little things, but a lot of a lot of what I'd like to know is more about you. And and by developing and, and by shining that light on the defects that we have in our society, maybe we can save some lives. You know, it's my brother. It's been a very challenging go. It's been three years since the time we that we filmed it, that I that I helped film it, and uh, here we are. You know, it's been a big fight for my brother. Luckily, we got you know that that will to to, to persevere. So yeah, and it premieres this weekend with uh, a select group of people, and I'm lucky enough to be a part of that and be able to MC the. Uh, the gala afterwards and i i want to give you thanks for making that happen and that's uh that's big for me i'm super excited and when i watched the film it was like i told your brother too that's my life right there that's that story is a lot of my life and it's the lives of many people i've worked with trying to wrest satisfaction happiness out of this world if they only manage well right and uh i think the big takeaway was like yeah like you said in the program, we ask for help. We learn how to ask for help. We go and ask people how they're doing. And we need more of that vulnerability in our lives and our societies. We need to teach that to our children. We need that to manifest vulnerability. It's based in love, right? We don't need the pride and the lower levels of force anymore because it just is destructive. So that being said, uh, what's your message for somebody new or struggling in this program? If you're new or struggling in the program, keep coming back. No. Uh, <laughs> do the work. You have to understand who the true enemy is. If you do not know who the enemy is, if you do not know who you're fighting, if you do not know what you're aiming at, it's futile. It's fleeting. It's not going to last. It's surface. It's surface. But if you can actually figure out who is the problem causing the most pain in your life, if you can figure that out, 
there is a freedom and a life on the other side of that that very few how does how does it go the the fellowship of the spirit there you will certainly find some of us mm -hmm. and if you go on that mission to find out who the enemy is and if you find yourself pointing your finger at somebody else keep keep looking because I found I found out who the enemy was I found out the problem in my life and once I found the problem in my life I was able to actually start changing my life and the life I have today is you I couldn't replace it I couldn't think I couldn't imagine a better life period thanks broski that's beautiful okay Bryce well we've gone way over but this has been such a great interview I'm super excited to post it um, I just want to thank you for dedicating your time to this cause on this podcast and being able to try to help people out there. And, uh, you know, I know that you got to get back to work here maybe this afternoon, but I really appreciate the time that you've given us. And, uh, thank you very much for, for joining me and for changing your own life and trying to pack this out there in the stream of light. Thanks, Bill. Okay. That's it. Have a good day, everyone. Bye-bye. Thank you for tuning in to the UDR cast. We hope you have enjoyed this episode. The viewpoints and the opinions expressed today were solely of the individual sharing them. If you resonated with this episode, please follow us and share this link with anyone that may benefit from it. Please visit us at billward.life to see everything that we have going on. We can recover one person, one family, one community at a time.